as we, um, as we conclude this, this chapter and reach the halfway point, at least as far as chapters go in the, in the book, we, we see here the Apostle Paul turning to provide a couple of examples of what he's been talking about since the end of chapter 1. That is, that is those who are living their lives as gospel-worthy citizens. And he calls the believers, uh, as we've been seeing here, to a life of humility and a life of unity that's rooted in that humility and that love for one another. We saw last week, he said, don't let your lives be full of complaining and grumbling, but, but rather, let's turn and, and work together for the sake of the gospel. And he's already pointed to Jesus as an example. He actually briefly alluded to Israel as a bad example of their grumbling and complaining. And now he's going to talk about uh, two different men who have been instrumental in his life and in the lives of the Philippians as those uh, who are flesh and blood examples of what it looks like to live your lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, like, like chapter 1, verse 27 talks about. He's all about illustrating what this looks like for us. And I've, I always appreciated teachers growing up who gave good illustrations to abstract concepts. And so that's what Paul's going to do for us. He's going to say, he's going to point us to a couple of individuals who are living their lives this way, the way that he longs for the Philippians to live. And so let's just dive right in. The first one is Timothy. He points to Timothy. If you, if, you know the, if you know the New Testament, you've likely heard of Timothy before. He's mentioned 26 different times in the New Testament. He comes up over and over again. In fact, he's, he's so prominent in Paul's life that Paul wrote him two letters, at least two that got recorded in the Scriptures and are part of the, the canon of the Word of God, First and Second Timothy. Timothy was, uh, Paul met Timothy when he passed through Lystra on his second missionary journey around A.D. 50. You can read about that in the beginning of Acts 16. And they began to travel together. They went to Thessalonica, to Corinth, to Jerusalem. And Timothy stayed by Paul's side even when he was imprisoned here at Rome. And, and, and Timothy became more than just a, uh, a fellow co-worker. He became a, a, a true companion of Paul's, a dearly loved son in the faith, as we'll see in just a moment. And, and so... As Paul ministered and served with him, he began to become increasingly reliant upon Timothy as he saw his character develop. And he left him in charge in Ephesus on his third missionary journey. And we read about his ministry to the Ephesians. And, you can, and, and I think Paul, is, that's what he's uh, addressing as he wrote First uh, and Second Timothy. You can learn a little bit about his pastoral heart in those, in those letters. Timothy came from a godly family. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 tells us, uh, Paul writes, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well, which is just another great reminder of the impact that we can have on our kids as we impart the Word of God, as we intentionally share Christ with our kids, as we point them to Jesus, we can have a tremendous impact on, on our kids. And it was that, that those, those seeds that were placed, that were planted by Grandma and by his mother that sprung up and helped make him into the man that he was. It wasn't that though Timothy was a perfect person. He had his struggles. He had his challenges. If you read uh, the, the gospels, or I mean uh, the, the epistles where Paul talks about him, we discover that he was probably someone who struggled with fear and anxiety. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.7 indicates that he, he struggled with timidity. 
Um, in 1 Timothy 5.23, we see that he had some physical problems. His health was an issue. Yet through all of that, Paul saw him as faithful. He was a faithful servant, a faithful companion, someone that he could count upon and rely upon. And so I, I just want to point out as we, as we briefly walk through this text, three different things about each of these men that are mentioned. Three things about Timothy, three things about Epaphroditus. As we, as we look at these examples of a few good men. And the first one I want to just point out is, is we see Timothy's willing heart. We see Timothy's willing heart. Paul writes in verse 19, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else, no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. And then in verse 23, Therefore I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. Timothy was the kind of guy who was always ready to serve, always eager to help out. He had this spirit, this demeanor, who said, sort of, here am I, send me. Just like Isaiah in, in Isaiah chapter 6. I'm ready, I'm willing to go. Put me in, coach. If you've ever coached a sport, you want to coach that kind of an athlete. You want that person on your team. Even if they're not the most physically capable, you want the kind of person who says, hey, if there's a... If there's a uh, a, a last second shot, give me the ball. If there's a chance to bat in the bottom of the ninth with two outs, I want the bat. You want that guy who's, or that girl who's ready and willing to go in. And, and Timothy was that kind of a person. He was ready. He, he longed to be able to be used by God. He wasn't the kind of person who was content to stay in the back seat. He wasn't the person who was content to just say, well, this is, this is what I'm doing. Here I am, and this is, this is all I've got going on right now. And he, he, was, he was always looking to be used by God. God, all throughout scriptures, we see, can do amazing things through men and women who are just willing to be used. You don't have to have the, 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 the skill set that you think is uh, the grade A 4.0 student. You don't, you don't have to have all the abilities and the training. God, God just longs for those who are available, who say, here am I, send me. Timothy was that kind of a person. I don't know about you, but there are times that I've talked myself out of ministry opportunities or things I know God has laid on my heart because I, I think I'm not capable. I can think of way, other, way, way better people, way more gifted people that could be used that way. But God's looking for those who just say, all right, I'm willing to be used. I, I believe that you can empower me, you can equip me, you can gift me. I'm just ready to go. Timothy had that kind of heart. But Timothy also, Timothy also had a caring heart. Timothy had a caring heart. There's a beautiful verse here in the middle of this section, verse 20, where he says, I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. Timothy... Timothy truly cared, genuinely cared about the Philippians. We don't know how much interaction he'd had with them, but he loved them. This is, this is again, this, this is a beautiful thing that springs out of what God had done in his own heart. We, we can't cultivate this kind of love. Timothy had traveled all over Asia with Paul. All over the known world, the Roman, the Roman Empire, preaching the gospel, planting churches. He knew and had to have met thousands of people 
And it could be easy for him to be like, yeah, they're just, they're more people. They're just names and numbers. But he genuinely cared. Now, this is a heart that comes from God. Some of us don't feel that way very often, that genuine affection for one another. This is a heart that comes from God himself. And it's a heart that we can pray for if we're not feeling that way. He wants us to have the heart of Jesus so that we can, for example, bear one another's burdens. Romans 12 says, love one another deeply from a sincere heart. That, that, That comes from Jesus. That doesn't come from our own self-will and self-effort. Timothy had a heart that was gripped by the love of Christ, that was, that was enraptured with the gospel, the good news of what Jesus had done. And that heart spilled over into those whom he, to whom he ministered. That's why Paul could say, I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. Paul was getting ready to send Timothy there uh, and, and he knew that the Philippians would be well cared for by this child of his. And that brings us to the, the, the third thing I wanted to point out about Timothy's heart is he had a faithful heart. He had a faithful heart. Verse 22 says, But you know his proven character because he served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. I love that verse. But you know his proven character. We've all met people, especially if, you, if you're in charge, if you've, if you've ever been in charge of a department, in charge of hiring someone, or maybe owned your own business. You've seen those resumes that the person looks good on paper, but you meet them in person, or maybe it takes a while. You hire them, and it takes a while to see their true colors, and you recognize that on, they're different on paper than they are in real life. On paper, they look pretty fantastic. In real life, eh, not so much. We've all had those, those sorts of things, or social media, right, is the perfect place for this, where, where someone can look a certain way, present this pedigree, present this certain version of, of ourselves, and, and in reality, life's a lot different. Life does not truly look like that. Have you ever seen some of those uh, pictures of famous places around the world such as the pyramids, or uh, I've seen pictures of the Taj Mahal or the, the Alamo, where up close it looks a certain way, but when you pan out and you see the, around it, everything looks completely different. It's not how you pictured when the camera lens was up close. When you get a chance to see sort of a, a bird's eye view, everything looks much, much different around, around it. So often uh, on the outside, we can look like one thing, and to others, we can look like one thing, but on the inside, it's a completely different, char- different story. But Timothy wasn't that way. He had a proven character. Didn't mean he was perfect. Didn't mean he didn't have his struggles. But it means that he had been faithful. He had been, he had been through the ringer with Paul. We know even from the end of Hebrews that Timothy had spent some time in prison himself. He had gone through it, and he proved that he was faithful. He proved that he was, he was true to the Lord his God. Paul loved Timothy so much, he could call him a son. He says that in, in 1 Timothy 1, 2, just like he does in this passage, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. He was such a dear companion that he was Paul's spiritual son. You see, God's, God's not on the lookout. And Scripture bears this out from Genesis on through to Revelation. I was just reading the beginning of Genesis uh, this week in my Bible reading, and I'm amazed at what a bum Abraham was. 
How many times? He's, at least twice, he's like, hey, honey, tells his wife, will you tell everybody that you're my sister so we don't, we don't run into any issues? Because apparently Sarah was so beautiful, he was worried that someone would just try to take her as they went into Egypt and as they came across Abimelech. And he said, so will you just let's pretend you're my sister? I mean, the guy, the guy did some really foolish, foolish things. And yet God used him. And that's the story all the way throughout Scripture. God using people who were, who were idiots, who were losers, who were, who were thank, I see that hand, <laughs> who had just blown it time and time again. You see, you see, the kind of people that God uses, not only in Scripture, but in history, are the, are the kind of people who say, I need you, Jesus. I can't do this, Jesus. But they're willing, ready to be used. And, and when, when we put ourselves in those situations time and time again, and God uses and works through our weaknesses and our foolishness and exalts himself, we're choosing to be available and willing. We see all of a sudden, over a period of time, this pattern of faithfulness emerge. That's what faithfulness is. It's, it's, it's being available and obedient to Jesus. Over a period of time. God's not looking for flash in the pan Christianity. He's looking for, for, for those of us who are in it for the long haul. Again, not perfect, not that we're gonna, not going to blow it, but that we're, we're quick to repent when we do and recognize that we need him moment by moment, casting ourselves upon him. That was Timothy's faithfulness. Well, we bump into this other guy in the passage by the name of Epaphroditus. Let's just acknowledge that Epaphroditus had an awesome name. Um, I was trying to find a way to shorten this, because I, I would be willing to bet money that Epaphroditus had a nickname, and I, I, that's been lost to us. I, I was working on um, EPAP, I don't know, uh, Rod is in the middle of there, uh, uh, someone suggested to me after the first uh, service, P-Rod, I don't know. Uh, we'll just go with Epaphroditus because I don't want to dishonor his name. And, 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 and his name actually means, it was, I wonder if he, gave, if he changed his name and gave himself this name later on in life. But the name actually means charming and handsome. So uh, I don't know. Either, either he was a firstborn and his mom's like, oh, or, or he was uh, sort of full of himself and gave that to himself later on. I don't know. I'm just conjecturing here. Um, as opposed to Timothy... Uh, who was going to be sent later, Paul was ready to send Epaphroditus right away. We don't know a lot about Epaphroditus. Philippians is the only place he shows up in the New Testament. He's mentioned here in chapter 2, and then again towards the end of the book in chapter 418, uh, as Paul talks about the gift that, he, that Epaphroditus brought to Paul. So what happened was, is that the Philippians wanted to support Paul financially. Paul's in prison. And so the Philippians entrust the gift with Epaphroditus, who takes it to Paul. And the, the, it seems like the plan was Epaphroditus was going to stay for a while and serve alongside of, of Paul. But what happened was that he got, he got sick. He got deathly sick. And, and things didn't pan out quite as, 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 as planned. And the Philippians heard about his sickness, that he was nearly, uh, he was on his deathbed, and, and they were worried. And they hadn't had any other communication other than we heard this guy's, this, this, 
beloved emissary of ours that we sent to Paul is, is on his deathbed there uh, where Paul's in prison, most likely Rome. And so Paul is sending Epaphroditus back with this letter that we're reading today and news that he's okay, that he made it. <laughs> Did you live, Epaphroditus? Yes, here I am. I survived this thing. Whatever it was, we don't know how he got sick. We just know that it was so bad that he almost died from it. That's what the, the text that, that uh, Sam read for us revealed. And so Epaphroditus has come back to Philippi, to his home church. And there are just a couple of things that stood out to me as I, as I read this section here. Again, we don't know a lot about him, but we can glean a couple things. And I wrote down this, that Epaphroditus had some great titles. Epaphroditus' titles revealed a little bit of his character and who he is. If you, if you look at in um, verse 25, it says, But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. Now, from those words, we can glean some things about Epaphroditus. We glean that like Timothy, he was, he was a caring individual. He was truly concerned. He's, Paul calls him my brother, someone who's close. He went there because he was deeply concerned to help bring this gift of, of, Paul, uh, uh, of the Philippians to Paul. And we learn that he, he was Paul's co-worker. So whatever amount of time he stayed there, again, most likely in Rome, if, even in his sickness or maybe before his sickness, it was revealed that he was willing to labor alongside Paul. He didn't just see himself as a messenger boy and then say, hey, you know, get, get a good meal and a good night's rest. I got to get back. I got things to do. He was, he was wanting to labor alongside Paul. Now, I don't know if you've ever signed up in any, in any way, maybe to, of course, years and years ago, it used to be a lot more common, but the idea of being an apprentice. Or if maybe when you were in college or in high school, you got to be a TA for a certain teacher that you really liked or respected. We still see this in our, in our culture sometimes. You, you look for someone that you can attach yourself to and learn from them. And, 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 and it tells us something that Epaphroditus, knowing that Paul was in prison, said, I want to go work with that guy. <laughs> like, you got to be a little bit crazy, right? Like, of, of different missionaries he could have attached himself to, different pastors, different church leaders, godly men and women. He said, I'm going to go hang out with the guy who's in prison. Now, why was Paul in prison? For his, his, his faith. He was in prison for his faith. And so anybody associated with him would also be known to be a follower of Christ. He, he was putting himself in harm's way to say, I'm going to go work alongside this man who's in prison for the cause of Jesus Christ. You see, even though we don't know a whole lot about Epaphroditus, there, there's some things that begin to emerge from this text that we see about his character, his personality. Paul also calls him his fellow soldier, minister to my need. He got in the trenches with Paul. He doesn't just simply call him a brother. He doesn't just simply call him a co-worker, but he says he's a fellow soldier. He got in the trenches with me. You know, there's something that's, for those of you who have, who have been in combat, there's something about it when you're in the trenches with, something, uh, with someone, a bond, a unique bond is forged. 
When you're going through the tough stuff, you're going, you're, you have bullets flying over your head. You're, you're in it together. That's what Epaphroditus was. But he was the kind of guy who served humbly in the background. We would never have known about Epaphroditus if Paul had not sent him back with this letter and mentioned him in the letter. Paul drew attention to the fact that, that this, was, this, was a, this was a man of God. My brothers and sisters, could someone say these things about us? How would Paul, how would Paul describe us if he were writing back to a, our home church about our character? A co-worker, a fellow soldier, a minister in my need? It says a lot about Epaphroditus. I, I want to move on, though, because we also learn about Epaphroditus' homesickness. We learn about Epaphroditus' homesickness. It says in verse 26 um, that, that, he, that Epaphroditus had been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. You see, Epaphroditus longed to get back home because his heart, just like we saw with Timothy, was with these people, with, was with the Philippians. He, he longed for them. They were dear to him. And he was, he was distressed. That word, he, he, was, he was burdened. He, he, was, he was anxious because he had heard that the, the, the believers back in Philippi had heard that he was sick. And he knew that that was weighing on them. And, and that in turn broke his heart. You can see that Epaphroditus has a tender, compassionate heart just like Timothy did. And that comes from God. And then finally, although we've already mentioned it, we see Epaphroditus' sacrifice. We see his sacrifice. He was willing to go serve alongside of a man in prison and willing to risk his own life. And if truly, as most scholars believe, that Paul was in prison in Rome, if you get a chance in your Bibles and look at a, one of those maps that's in the back, look at, find Philippi on there and find Rome and see, he didn't just travel it wasn't like walking from here to Farwell. This was a long, arduous journey. And he was willing to put his life at risk so that he could bring this gift and then to Paul and then minister alongside of Paul. And so Paul is saying all of this for the purpose. Verse 29, he says, Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. I want to just close with a couple of applications. The first one is this. We need each other. We need each other. We can't do life and ministry alone. Think about Paul. Paul, Paul was like, I mean, when you read the New Testament, he's, he's the guy. He wrote 13 or 14 books. The book of Acts, especially after uh, his conversion and around chapter 9 there, I think, is 9 or 10, whenever it is, the, the whole book of Acts centers around his work and ministry. Paul was the guy. And that, yet you read any of his letters, and he goes overboard thanking people who have who have blessed him, who have given him a place to stay, who have labored beside him. And over and over again, he says, listen, I couldn't do it without them. 
This was my fellow soldier. This was my co-worker. This is my son in the faith. You see, even someone like Paul, the Apostle Paul, he couldn't do it alone. My brothers and sisters, we need one another. We're not sent out as individuals on this mission to accomplish it on our own. But we're called to join together for the sake of the gospel. That's why Paul hammered unity so hard in this letter, and and in most of his letters, but especially here. He wanted them to know that we need one another. We need fellow soldiers. We need co-workers. I want to encourage you, if you are not that yet, that you pray and ask God to, to help you work side by side with his people. He will equip you. He will strengthen you for that journey. The second thing I wrote down is that we need to live out our theology. We need to live out our theology. You see, it's one thing to believe that we're supposed to be humble. It's another thing to live it out. It's one thing to believe that we need one another and and say, yes, I agree with that. But it's another to live it out. We're called to live out our theology. And I love how even in what's transpiring here, we see Paul doing it. Paul did not just preach about sacrificial love and putting others' needs above our own. He didn't just preach about that. Did you, do you see him doing it in this very text? What's he doing with Timothy? He says, I've got nobody else like him. And yet, he says, I hope to send Timothy to you shortly. Do you... <laughs> I'm sure Paul had, because he's a human, and he worked with other humans, I'm sure Paul had people hanging around that he's like, hey, uh, let's send this guy here, because he's getting under my skin a little bit, and we'll just send him and let him him bless somebody else. I'm sure there were people like that in Paul's circles. Let's not just pretend that there weren't human beings that weren't annoying back then. Like, I'm sure he had people that he could have sent that, like, be good to have a little break from Jimmy here. Let's just send Jimmy to the Philippians. And, uh, you know, he's a good preacher, but, man, he's getting under my skin. We'll just let him bless him. No, no, no. His dearest child in the faith, he says, I have nobody else like him. And he says, I'm sending him to you shortly. (laughs) Paul is practicing what he preaches. He didn't try to keep Timothy for himself. Timothy was a tremendous encouragement while he was in prison. Timothy was a faithful friend and a, and, a, and, a, and a faithful co-worker. And he says, I'm going to let you guys have him. <laughs> Paul's practicing what he's preaching here. He's living out this command to put others' needs before his own. You guys need him more than I do. I'm going to send Timothy along. May we live out our theology. May we practice what we preach. And then finally, we need to remember that we're called to a life of faithfulness. God calls you and me not to notoriety, not to success, but he calls us to faithfulness. He calls us to be the kind of men and women who say, hear my Lord, send me. I don't have much, I don't have this degree, I don't have this experience, but I'm willing to be used by you, God, however you see fit. Both Timothy and Epaphroditus and, and, and the Apostle Paul, they had that spirit. Put me in, coach. You may be a 190 hitter, but go up to your coach in the bottom of the ninth and say, I'll, I'll take the bat. 
I'm willing to pinch hit. Let me in. You may have, you may have made a train wreck of your life. You may not feel like you have that much to offer to the Lord and to the church. And maybe, unfortunately, maybe you've even been told that. Maybe you've been told that you're no good, that you've blown it, that you're worthless. I'm telling you what, God doesn't see it that way. God has created you, formed you in his own image, and he's gifted you. He's given you his Holy Spirit. You have everybody as much as power in your life as the Apostle Paul did. And he's called you into the game, and he's called you to a life of faithfulness, not a, a life of notoriety. You see, so many people want to serve the Lord for as long as they're getting, getting the praise and getting the attention. And today, we can get more of it than ever. We can put our, our service and our sermons or our or whatever, on social media, and we can look and, and check how many likes we have and how many views our videos have, and, and we can get those pats on the back. And all of a sudden, that becomes a motive for wanting to serve, and it can skew things. But when we just say, it doesn't matter what kind of recognition I get, I'm willing to go. You look all over, read Romans 16 when you have a little chance later on today when Lions commercial break or something. And, and look at the names that are listed in there. Almost every name that the Apostle Paul says thank you to or addresses, you, we have no idea who they are. We don't know anything about them. He'll just say, this person was so crucial to me. This person was there when I needed them. And that's it. We don't know anything else. And think about beyond that, the countless thousands, millions probably, down throughout history who never made it into the scriptures, who never had a biography written about them, that there's no documentary, that there's, there's no, there's no uh, Wikipedia page for them, and they just faithfully serve behind the scenes. Think about in your own life, people who touched your, your heart, who touched your life in a profound way. There's no statue or monument, most likely, of those people. There's, there's not a documentary on Netflix about them. They just were faithful. I want to encourage you, just as a side note, if that person, that man or woman or people, relatives, whoever that might be, if they're still alive, take some time in the next 48 hours to give them a call and just thank them. Paul says to do that. He says, hold people like him in honor. Those that have, have touched your life, take some time this week to just say thank you. Jot them a handwritten note and put it in the mail. Um, if, if you're not sure how to do it, you can Google how to send a letter. It's still out there. Stamps and everything. They're kind of hard to find, but you can, you can find them. And, and touch somebody's life in the way that they, they touched your life. God calls us to be faithful, not famous. God calls us to, to press on in obedience whether we're getting pats on the back or not. He's the one that's going to honor. When we looked at the example of Jesus during the month of December and, and here earlier in chapter 2, what, what was the reward that Jesus got? Therefore, God has highly exalted him. He, he didn't get the earthly reward. He was rewarded by his Father. My brothers and sisters, let's labor to be faithful for the reward that doesn't perish. It sure is wonderful to get credit 
here on earth. It sure is wonderful, and we need encouragement. Everybody needs encouragement. It's wonderful to have someone come along and say, that really blessed me. I, I can't tell you how much, how much that blesses me when I, I get a phone call or a letter or a text or just a hug, and, 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 and I hear those kinds of words. But, but, but we're not doing it for that. We long to be faithful for our Father, for the eternal reward and, and the, the fruit that will last, the lives and hearts that we can touch by being faithful. I want to close with a story. Some of you may have heard it before, but I, I, I love it every time I read it. It was the year 1858 in the city of Boston. Edward Kimball was a young Sunday school teacher. And he made it his habit to personally make sure each student in his class had the opportunity to hear the gospel and to trust Jesus as their Savior. Edward Kimball. None of us know who he is, unless you've heard the story. History doesn't remember him. But he got especially concerned about one of his Sunday school students, a teenager who worked in a shoe store. And one day, Kimball went to the shoe store to find the young man, found him in the back stocking shelves, and began to talk to him and engaged him in some spiritual questions and led the man to Christ. That day in the back of a shoe store, while he was stocking shelves, this young man trusted Jesus as his Savior because his Sunday school teacher didn't say, I'm just going to punch in and punch out Sunday morning. I'm going to go after these young men, and I'm going to go after these kids and find them and, and be in their lives. He went to the kids' work to talk to him about Jesus and led him to Christ in that back room. That young man's name was D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, if you don't know, went on to become one of the most famous evangelists here in the United States, started Moody Bible Institute and a number, a number of other Christian ministries. And, and, and it didn't stop there, though, because... Moody became an internationally known speaker, and on one of his trips to the British Isles, he preached in a little chapel pastored by a young man named Frederick Meyer. And in that sermon, D.L. Moody told the story of his Sunday school teacher, and that message so gripped Pastor Meyer's heart that it completely changed his ministry, and it inspired him to be an evangelist. And so Meyer, he began to preach, sharing the gospel all over England, and eventually he traveled to America, and one time he was preaching in Northfield, Massachusetts, where another young preacher heard him say, if you're not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? Are you willing to say, here my Lord, send me? And that remark was heard by a man named J. Wilbur Chapman, and he responded to God's call on his life that day. Wilbur Chapman went on to become an evangelist. And, and he, as he traveled around and preached, he found a volunteer one day by the name of Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday helped him set up for these crusades, these, these, these big uh, open-air meetings. Billy Sunday learned how to preach by watching Chapman and eventually took over Chapman's ministry and became a dynamic evangelist himself. You can Google Billy Sunday. There's a Wikipedia page about him. Billy Sunday's preaching brought thousands to Christ. Well, 
inspired by these open-air meetings that Billy Sunday was doing, a group of men in Charlotte, North Carolina, decided they wanted to reach their community for Christ. They said, Billy Sunday's doing this for Christ. Why, why, don't, why don't we do something like this in Charlotte? And so they scheduled some meetings. The year was 1932. And a local farmer got his pickup going and traveled around to some of the farmhouses and started picking up people in the back of his truck to take to this open-air meeting. It was led by a group of laymen in Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, there was a 16-year-old kid that hopped in the back of that truck, and he heard the gospel preached every night of those meetings. And he came back again and again, intrigued by what he heard. Never before had he heard about a Jesus that loved him and died for him. And one night, on the last night of those meetings, in fact, that 16-year-old boy went forward and gave his life to Christ. That boy's name was Billy Graham. Billy Graham has shared the gospel with more, per more people than anyone else in, in human history. Most likely, some of us know someone who was led to Christ by Billy Graham. My wife's grandmother was. All because Edward Kimball, an unknown Sunday school teacher, decided to pursue the heart of a young man who needed Jesus. I realize there are a million other factors that played into all this. I understand that. But God honored his faithfulness. Imagine if that farmer had decided he had too much work to do in the fields to bother going to this meeting. He was willing to throw a bunch of kids in his pickup truck, which would be illegal now, and go take them to hear the gospel. See, my brothers and sisters, God's not calling us today to have this great campaign, to have a great social media presence, to, to have a, our name in the, in the light, as it were, to, to have our story broadcast, to be featured on some documentary. He's calling you to me to be faithful. He's calling us to say, here, my Lord, send me. Who are you calling me to come alongside? Whose who's spiritual son or daughter should I seek to be? Maybe, maybe it needs to start there. You think, I don't know how to do this. Find somebody who's doing it and attach yourself to them. Be, be a Paul's Timothy. But, but maybe you, you, you do know enough of what you're doing. And God's calling you to go, go find a Timothy, a son or a daughter in the faith that you can say, hey, come along with me. I'm gonna, we're going to go talk to this person. We're going to go visit this person in the hospital. We're going to go sit down with this, this kid who's struggling. You don't know what God's going to do. He's calling you to be faithful, and he'll take care of the results. Maybe you're going to share the gospel with the next Billy Graham. Maybe you only impact two or three souls in your entire lifetime. Two or three. It'll be a great day when you can gather with them in the heavens. It's not about the results. It's about being faithful and obedient to what he's called you to do. My brothers and sisters, 
Let's look to the lives of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Let's look to those who have willingly served. Look to those who have been that example in your own lives. And then follow after in faithfulness. Let's be willing to be the kind of men and women who stick to it for the long run, no matter what happens, so that we can trust God with the results. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the lives of Timothy and Epaphroditus, and, and it just reminds us that we see all throughout Scripture you use all kinds. We've seen you use people who can't speak well. We've seen you use murderers, adulterers. We've seen you use those who denied knowing Jesus in his hour of need. We've seen you use fishermen. We've seen you use prostitutes and the wealthy as well as the poor, the uneducated as well as the educated. Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning you would stir our hearts to come before you and say, here my Lord, send me. That we might, like Meyer preached, if we find that we don't have a willing heart, God, would you make our hearts willing? Would you open up our hearts in love, in obedience, and in boldness to step forward to what you're calling us to do? May we take time to listen and be still before you. Step out of our busy and noisy lives to just say, God, what are you calling me to do? Father, if, if there's unbelief that's in the way, may we turn from that. If there's sin that's in the way, would, would we repent of that? If there's selfishness or materialism or whatever it could be that's hindering us from that spirit of send me, Lord, may we turn from that and turn to Jesus for a life of faithfulness. Now, the Father who chose you, the Son that bought you, the Spirit who dwells in you, go before you in your darkness, stand beside you in your fears, hold you up in your sorrows, and strengthen you in your mission until Jesus comes. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray.